Dear friends, welcome to another edition of Forum 2000 Online Chat. My name is Arzu Gebula, and joining us today is Maria Virginia Marin, the Executive Director and Founder of ProBox, a digital observatory dedicated to studying political and social trends on Twitter in Latin America, with specific focus on Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. Maria holds a degree in political science from the Universidad Central de Venezuela, as well as over eight years of experience in political strategic communication and political campaigns. Maria, welcome to the online chat once again. It is great to have you here joining us today. Thank you, Arsu, for this kind introduction and thank you for the, uh, to the Forum 2000 for having me. Maria, I would like to start from the work that you do at ProBox, as I think it is very relevant to the topic of our discussion today. If I understand correctly, at ProBox, you analyze Twitter for inauthentic accounts operated by the autocratic regimes in Latin America that share manipulative content. How does it really work and what happens once you identify these accounts? Yeah, well... I will use uh, one example of what digital authoritarianism is. And a 2019 uh, report by the Brookings Institution defines digital authoritarianism as the use of digital information technology by authoritarian regimes to survive repressed and manipulate domestic and foreign populations. Through censorship, propaganda, and an incredible AI system uh, to surveillance the population, Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party has been building authoritarianism in China for years. As we know, China is one of the world's most restrictive media environments, using uh, censorship to control the information you see uh, online, in social media, and also in the news. Same happens in countries uh, under authoritarian regimes, such as Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, where traditional media has been censored and repressed for years. This has caused uh, the migration of the population to use the internet as the main source of information for citizens, journalists, uh, political dis dissidents, people in exile. And sometimes this is the only means even for uh, the international public opinion to know what's happening inside some of these authoritarian countries. Uh, for example, in China, many of the U.S. websites uh, are blocked, platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, and some Google services are unable to be found in Chinese public internet service. But this is also a very common practice for Latin American dictatorships, where, as in China, uh, people have to use social media in the past to connect and to organize themselves for fight for the rights. Of course, the freedom that the internet represents has become in another target for these uh, authoritarian regimes. In Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua, the independent media and journalists, activists, even regular citizens are being arrested for online opinions, 
comments, uh, comments or even for silly political jokes made on social media. And this is something that we have seen before in China, where the Chinese government used lawsuits, arrests, and other means to force Chinese journalists and media organizations to censor themselves. Uh, that basically means that it exists a pattern between the means used by Latin American dictatorships to censor, manipulate, and shape and control the information online that is very similar to, not to say identical, to the uh, many restrictions applied by the Chinese government to suppress freedom of, of expression, expression in China. Thank you so much for giving such an extensive response to that question, because you kind of dived into the next question I wanted to ask, mm -hmm. and that was specifically about um, China and how often the practices that we've seen applied by the government there against freedom of the media and freedom of expression has been um, multiplied and used in other country contexts. But if it's okay, I would like to go back to the work that you do at Probox and ask you what have you seen in the line of the work that you've been doing as part of this uh, organization, when you identify the content that you see that is manipulative, what kind of measures do you take or what kind of steps do you follow to then share this information with your audience or perhaps organize an advocacy campaign or perhaps raise awareness on this? Like what kind of um, steps you take once you've identified this work, specifically using your own um, initiative? Yeah, the work we do is normally trying to create awareness and consciousness about digital rights, uh, specifically in countries under authoritarian regimes where Traditional social media and media in general has been censored for years. And that means these governments use, um, like if they had a manual, they use censorship to, um, to block the information in traditional media. They use the persecution to the journalists and political dissidents, activists, etc. But they also create daily propaganda trending topics trying to confuse the public opinion about the country's reality. And what we do is trying to create consciousness about this, create awareness about how the digital conversation is being shaped and it's, and it's being manipulated uh, by these regimes trying to impose their narrative and uh, trying to hide the denounces and uh, the themes, themes and topics that civil society tries try to make trends or trying to make digital activism around it. Of course, these regimes have uh, incredible resources, technology that civil society doesn't have. And this is why we need to create more awareness, education, not only in the people, but 
in the ones making the decisions, the political decisions. And also, uh, we need more support from the platforms because civil society in these countries doesn't have the same resources and the same access to the internet, the free internet, but we need it the most. This, these communities and these people need the access to internet to not only to get informed, but also to understand what's happening in the world. And if the conversation is being manipulated, then you will have people inside these countries that doesn't understand what's happening outside. And I think the goal of disinformation at the end is not believing one thing, is not believing anything. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating to hear so many parallels um, with what you're describing to the countries that I've been studying or I'm observing also as a journalist working on the topic of digital authoritarianism. Um, and also, of course, the work that you do in terms of raising awareness, because that is one of the most important sort of, you know, we're, we're kind of shifted from media literacy uh, to now this global awareness raising of what's going on across the world, but also within the countries that we work on. So it's it's really fascinating. And I salute you on the work that you're doing. And I'm really happy that you mentioned the role of platforms because that was kind of the next question I wanted to ask you. What has been the response uh, of companies and platforms through which uh, you've seen, you've documented the sort of digital authoritarianism being deployed. Um, have they been um, cooperative? Uh, have they been addressing um, the issues openly, transparently? Uh, yes. What can? What has been your experience? If you could share a little bit of of, of that with us too, that'd be great. Sure. Um, I'll start talking about the strategic partnership between uh, Venezuela's government and China's government. This uh, partnership has been increasing uh, in the years, and both regimes have agreements that covers more than 25 economic sectors, including strategic, strategic ones such as hydrocarbons, mining, telecommunication, and defense. Chinese big technologies uh, companies such as CTE and Huawei have helped Maduro's regime before to build mechanisms to control and surveillance uh, the citizens in Venezuela. But this is not the only way this strategic uh, partnership works. For example, according to a report made by the organization Transparencia Venezuela, Venezolan Industrias Tecnológicas was created in October 25, and its shares were divided between Chinese state-owned company and a Venezuelan state company. This um, company what made was creating a te technological equipment that uh, such as computer, laptops, tables, and everything development in for domestic for domestic market. These uh, computers end up in the public and the educational system in Venezuela, and and it, that means uh, 
basically the Chinese government not only have resources and influence in technologies issues, uh, futuristic technological issues, but also they are uh, immersed in this um, effort to build only one criteria and only one way to see the world that is a very common uh, method used by these regimes. But by the other hand, uh, talking about um, companies such as Facebook or Instagram, we have seen efforts, for example, last year we, we saw how Facebook closed and suspended Facebook and Google suspended uh, suspended accounts related to um, Daniel Ortega's regime. And also we saw last year that Twitter uh, suspended a network of accounts that were uh, violating their policies and they were linked to Maduro's regime uh, propaganda apparatus. The thing here is that most of the efforts these companies does are for English language. It's not designed to most of the time to study this information and take action uh, against this information for languages such as Spanish, Chinese, Africans maybe. And this means these publics that are the ones who need the access to the social media the most, because this is a source of, of information, are the, one, the ones more exposed to false information and to uh, they are more vulnerable to be, uh, to be disinformed or to be a part of this chain of disinformation. I mean, it sounds like it's such a challenging environment because not only you have internal challenges, but you also have external influences, like what you've described with um, Chinese interest um, in the region and the strategic partnerships, the economic investments and whatnot. And of course, the the role platforms are playing in, in all of this. And I think the language uh, issue that you mentioned resonates also within our region and the Southern Caucasus, where we often see that the lack of response or inadequate response that we get from platforms is often related to the fact that they don't speak the local languages or they don't operate in local languages. And that really uh, makes it much harder to advocate with, with these platforms whenever there's sensitive content that needs to be taken down or whenever you're reporting a certain account or a certain page that is engaged in some kind of um, inauthentic behavior and whatnot, so that's that's really um, it's, it's really interesting to see all, all these all these parallels that you're describing. Um, Mario, I have one last question that I would like us to talk about, and we kind of talked about it broadly. Um, you've addressed them in your previous answers, but that's it concerns. Um, how digital authoritarianism isn't just happening in a vacuum, but that it is part of um, forms of authoritarian 
practices that we're used to seeing before we discovered this whole new form of authoritarianism as we describe as digital authoritarianism. You know, we're talking about traditional forms of um, intimidation, uh, censorship, uh, media capture, um, as well as legislative amendments. So as democracies and civil society, we are facing a far more sophisticated environment today um, in which we work, collaborate, and exist. So what are some of the best coping strategies? Are there coping strategies? Um, who is winning, if anyone's winning or if anyone's losing? Um, and what can be done collectively to address these trends of authoritarianism? I think, I believe that no one is exactly winning or losing this, this battle. The political system constantly adapts and evolves, and so it's societies. It demands their, their expectations about their leadership. So I think definitely democratic values are the ones, democratic values and freedom of expression are the ones that are being seriously compromised worldwide by these practices, by authoritarian or even not that authoritarian regimes. Um, I think what we have to do is to get united, to, to have unity between civil society around the world and make some pressure to these companies to work together. We don't demand to them to, to do, uh, I think, more efforts uh, because we are accessing to these platforms and to their rules, but we have seen how they can act more uh, urgently with several things, with several situations, as we have seen how they are fighting against Russian disinformation related to the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine sorry. But I think uh, for Latin American countries, African countries, all the civil society that is doing actually the work, the Twitter or Facebook sometimes doesn't have the, the human capacities to do. I think if we are doing it, we need to get in contact and we need to have the platform here to trying to build a better and a safer environment in social media for journalists, activism, activists, and freedom of expression in general. I think we should um, raise the awareness uh, about these issues and how this information affects societies uh, under authoritarian regimes more than societies that are uh, democracies. And this is why we need more support from platforms, from the ones making the political decisions. We need more attention about this because this is spreading as a normal thing in different countries that, as I said before, 
are not supposedly authoritarian, but they are using authoritarian practices after they were normal. So basically, there's a lot more work to be done, unfortunately, <laughs> um, and a lot more coordination that needs to be taking place while this work is being done, not only between the civil society organizations, but also governments, uh, but also platforms, um, sort of this coordinated effort and trying to tackle this increasingly um, dangerous, I would say, um, issue of, of authoritarian, um, of digital authoritarianism. This was really interesting. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing you at the next Forum 2000 in person again. <laughs>